Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs addiction. Oh, wait, hold on. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Leave it. Leave it. You, you said you wanted All to right. do it, so you're going to do it. Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs addiction and dumb shit. I'm Chris. You sound really stupid when you do that. Yeah, I didn't say I wanted to do it. You just said you didn't want to do it. I don't really think you sound stupid. But you just said you didn't want to do it. I never said I wanted to. Hey, let me, we're here with Chris's girlfriend, Annie, his, his roommate and girlfriend. Who had a little ca- cameo in last week's episode, the last uh, minute or so. She did? Yeah. The roommate? You're an idiot. When did, what did you, she say on <laughs> last week's episode? What did she say? Remember she came in for the last second of the episode. I, I didn't listen to it. You didn't remember that? No. You remember when I opened the door and she walked in the room and she sat down? Oh, that was last yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Such an idiot. I thought we were talking about two weeks ago. I got confused. I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah, last week's episode, she had a, a horrible cameo there. Yeah, that, that happened. Um, but here we are, sitting very close together in the Hotel 60 on uh, Allen Street on the Lower East Side. Mm. And Annie just went to a delicious Italian dinner for coming back from the thing. He went to Little Frankie's, I believe. What'd you have to eat? I had the spaghetti with lemon and cheese, Parmesan cheese and butter. That's it what you very, got? It sounds very simple. Picante? Or not picante, piccata. No, 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 no. Chicken it's just, piccata? That's chicken piccata. She just said she had spaghetti with sauce. Just spaghetti with lemon butter and Parmesan cheese. It sounds very simple. It sounds like, do I really want to spend $25 on yeah. this? Yeah. But then it's the best. Was the best twenty five. But she the also twenty five dollars. But she also had three glasses of wine. So is this mean? Is this no, is she but, allowed to be on the show? Or? In my mind, definitely not. <laughs> That's the thing. In my mind, definitely not. But I, I've found a new peace in my life, yeah. where I'm just going to let whatever you know. We got to make the best. She's of still situation. Har- harm reduction. I don't, I don't harm really <laughs> I really don't. I'm not, I'm not into it. But um, harm reduction. But Annie's here, and it's an opportunity, and she has a crazy story. Or a, a story. Yeah. A so, story. I don't know how crazy, but I definitely have a story. Yeah. See, I don't think you needed to tell the Dopey Nation that she had three glasses of wine. Why not? I just don't think that information was pertinent to that. I'm about, you know, being full fully, disclosure. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Total authenticity. Total authenticity. Yeah. And Annie, for the Dopey Nation, is the roommate of Helga. <laughs> who we have spoken well, about. Well, the former roommate of Helga. The former now the roommate of you. Now yeah. the roommate of me, yes. And it's going and, swimmingly, and, wouldn't you say? And Helga now is moving in with her boyfriend. And you wish she would never call me. She would never call you? Her boyfriend. Oh, yeah, she would never call you her boyfriend. Yes. That's true. But I made out. You, you made out like you do with me now? Yes. Yeah. Oh, this yes. episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Dave, that you oh have to watch God. it. <laughs> Like, uh, I thought you were going to jump the, all over the Helga thing. the channel? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tired of Helga. I don't care. I, I hate the Helga story. Yeah. I hate all of it. Yeah. Okay? I really do. You said it created the best episodes we ever had. In the Helga period, it was a robust time for Dopey I bet. I bet it was. It was so good. <laughs> the yeah. best was when Chris told the story of Helga... Oh, of not being able to fuck Helga. Yeah, because he couldn't get hard. Because he couldn't get hard. <laughs> then sending her the episode. Then her being like, why, really did you, why did you send this to me? You have to erase it. I have to say that I actually heard that episode because she showed it to me at the time. 
So she showed it to you, and then she asked me to delete it. Yes. Did you listen? You listen to it? I listened to a little bit. I wasn't really interested at the time. She really like. Were you interested in me at all at the time? No, not at all. She claimed she was never interested. I was not interested. So, at what point did that turn? At what point? Well, um, can can I send this episode to her? No. So I was trying to create All right, drama. we went to coffee. We went to get coffee. And Wait, hold on. But before the coffee, because mm-hmm. I was unfortunately partial yes, to every yes. fucking Before any of this happened, Dave knew. He had the play-by-play. But I also knew that this was on. The second you texted him about salsa dancing and sent that stupid salsa dance emoji to Chris, I knew you were interested in him. That was enough. Well, was maybe the, I was interested subconsciously, yeah. but consciously I was definitely not interested. I really believe her. She's maintained that since day one. That she wasn't interested when I thought she was. So yeah, what, definitely so not. Coffee? And and maybe maybe Dave disagrees, but I think Gabe agrees with me. That you weren't interested. That I was not interested. Yeah, Gabe said that. Good, great. <laughs> All right, so we got coffee. So I, the reason why I got coffee with Chris was because I've always been interested in addiction medicine, and I wanted to get involved and um, Helga actually suggested that I contacted Chris. So I texted Chris and I didn't hear back from him for like a week. So I thought, okay, well he hates my roommate so therefore he's not texting me back. I was just him playing it cool. No, No, I was meditating. He was actually in a retreat. Uh, In a meditation (laughs) retreat and then he texted me and then we grabbed coffee. I only wonder how much you actually meditate. I can't can't possibly imagine how much you might have meditated on that retreat. Like, the story that you tell versus the life you have. I just think about all the people I'm going to tell about the retreat when the retreat's over, while I'm on the retreat. How are you going to be like, I'm cool because of this, and because of this, and because of this? Building my resume. Now, anyway, so you went to coffee, and you were like, this guy's mildly insane and has been involved in my roommate. Well, I just really remember one of the things that stuck out to me while we were talking, um... Was that he had told me that he had been in jail. And I didn't know that much about Chris. But when he said that, that just kind of threw me off the loop. Because he just doesn't look like a person that would have been in jail. But now he does, doesn't Uh, he? Yeah, he does. And (laughs) (laughs) And then... And then, like, if anything, I was, like, interested in getting to know him. I thought he was, like, a very cool person. Because before that, I think you've been in, in the house... With, with Helga when I was there a handful of times so I never really got into talk to you so that was the first time that we sat down and I was like this is a really interesting fun guy and after that I think we kept texting and then I suggested coffee again and then Chris was like well how about we go to dinner instead I remember that and <laughs> I thought that was a great idea and to be honest I think I think when he suggested to go to dinner and I accepted, and I was actually surprised at how excited I was. And it took me a while. It took me like at least, like I usually get ready pretty quickly, but that yeah. day I had a hard time even picking out an outfit. I was kind of pretty nervous. And how much of it do you think was a fuck you to Helga? How much of it? For you. For me? Honestly. No, no, no. Um, Come on. <laughs> Two of you live in fucking Denial City. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. You're like, I wasn't really, in, maybe in my subconscious I was interested. It's like, fucking, how much did you enjoy fucking Helga with this? Well, actually, I didn't enjoy any of it, to be honest with you, because she, it actually made my life really hard. At the time, 
we already were kind of having issues as roommates. Like we never really, we were good friends when we didn't live together, but when we were roommates, it was very hard because it was very different. We were different personalities and she was going through a really hard time. And I just was trying to be patient, but at the time it was just very hard for me. And I was actually looking to move out. And then the whole thing, Chris, the, the whole thing with Chris happened after and it just, it just made it hell. Like I really. Well, going out to dinner with her ex-boyfriend could create some, even if she doesn't call you her boyfriend. Well, she didn't care about that. Of course she did. First of all, hold on. Of course she did. Wait, but who told Of course she did. I was the one who told Of course she did. Of course she did. But the thing is like, because she didn't really ever even acknowledge that she liked Chris. She was like, Even when I was oh, Annie, yeah. like, I actually think that you should date Chris because he's a great guy. And like, you can have my leftovers because I'm so much better than you. You can have Chris. Well, I'm sure maybe so she was mental. thinking that, but she was very like, you should guys should hang out. And I was like, well, like, and I would, I would be honest with her. I'm going to be go, go hang out with Chris. And she's like, oh my God, it would be so nice if you guys got together. And then finally, when I'm like, I like Chris, then she kind of like was like, oh, wait a second. Like, so what have changed then? She said, this was she used to tell me, she, th- she thought she was fine with it until she saw Chris. Because Chris came over to my place once. Chris wanted to talk to her a little bit. And, and no, and cry. then she saw Chris and then she's like, I saw Chris and I realized I still have feelings for Chris. I, also at the time she was, she was going through like a breakup with somebody that she had been dating and on and off. And um, it kind of, I think the two things together, that the relationship that she had at the time wasn't working and then that... Somebody that I have to say, because it, it may not seem like that, but she has great respect for Chris. And I think one of the big things is that she really wanted to date Chris and be with Chris. And she was kind of mad at herself that she, missed she didn't, that exactly that she like didn't like him more or didn't try to make it work more. But I think one of the reasons, like she wasn't in a, in a mental state where I think she couldn't make it work with anybody. At the time, what about so, the homeless guy that she was? Isn't she with some fucking homeless guy or something? Yeah, she dated a but the same thing. She she like she he was really into her, and he wasn't. He had been homeless at the time uh, before they met, but um, and he had also he was also in recovery. Like Chris is a fuck up, but this guy's a real fuck up. So she was like, I'm into the real fuck. Up. No, but she wasn't really into him either. Isn't that like, who she's with now? No, she's now with somebody completely different. What is his deal? He's like a rapist or something? Serial? No, no, he's actually great. He's actually great. He's, like he's a actually like a guy. pretty normal, decent person. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we went out to dinner, and then the rest was history. And then Annie said that she was going to sublet her place and move in with her parents. And I said, "Why don't you move in with me?" And then she said, "I'll see if I can find someone to sublet the place," which I thought was going to take like months, and it took like three days. Yeah, it took three days because it just happened to be that I posted it on a website just for med school students and I thought it was going to take like a month and then somebody texted me the next day and they're like can we move in for a month and then it it was funny because Gary he turned out to be friends with one of my really good friends from grad school and it just kind of worked out so tell us your story let's hit him with some dopey some story well um so can i give a little background on yeah annie? sure please do. okay so annie is she's from venezuela she lived in caracas until she was 18 mm-hmm. then she went to byu she grew up mormon yes that's brigham and young university after that she went into at she studied journalism she couldn't speak any english really until she came to the united states so she picked that's the correct. stupidest career possible <laughs> very true very true and uh she was a journalist 
and then she went to Harvard, got a master's in Harvard, so and now she's you in med school. Have her tell the story, but it's fine. It's fine. No, it's, it's fine. I think like I tell. It them. makes me feel more important. Go ahead. And uh, she was this when you were in your master's. What? Oh in, yes, in New York. I had just finished. Um, so just to kind of recap, I think I think for a long time, I I mean I'm not gonna even try to pretend that I have any like substance abuse or anything yeah. like that. I don't at all. In fact, um, I didn't have my first drink, I think until I was like 22 or 23. I didn't get drunk until I was like 25, 26 that I remember it was the first time I got drunk and actually threw up. Um, cause you're I was Mormon. already at Harvard you're because Mormon? I was, yeah, I mean, I was Mormon. I grew up Mormon, but mm, my family in general, they were never big drinkers. And um, my dad I didn't know there were wasn't. Mormons in Venezuela. Yeah, they are. There's a they lot. Are. No, it's a very small community. How did that even happen? Well, my mom grew up Catholic, and uh, so was my father. Ninety-nine percent of people over there are Catholic. But my mom's one of my mom's family members had lived in the U.S. for a long time, and she became Mormon, and she moved back to Venezuela with her husband, and they took my mom to church when she was thirteen. So then she really liked the Mormon church, and she decided to convert. And they really thought Mormon. that John Smith had gotten plates from Jesus Christ yeah. buried in Utah. Yeah. And that was a Venezuelan belief. Well, no, it wasn't a Venezuelan belief. But they, they were like, yeah, in Utah, this is the holy place. <laughs> well, I mean, like, religion, religion is like a universal thing, right? Like, I think what draws people into religion is more like the feeling and not necessarily, like... People don't go into religion because the, the, the Mormons, the, Mor- the Mormons are very seductive. I'm ready to with destroy their feeling. this episode of Dopey yeah. <laughs> and, and take a real turn into Mormonism here. <laughs> how do they? How do they explain the plates turning up in Utah? Jesus flew to Utah. He planted some plates. Well, What's I mean, the, story? the plates. The plates didn't turn up. Okay, we're gonna get into Mormon history. The plates didn't turn up in Utah. The plates turned up in New York. In New York, Where? in upstate New York. What town? Bethlehem? I don't know exactly. What are the plates? Is that the Lost Bethlehem, Bible? Bethlehem, New York. What is the plates? Well, the Lost the plates, Stories of the, the Bible? Story. Okay, okay. <laughs> the plates the plates, the plates where the story, this is a short, really short version. Joseph Smith was a teenage boy and he was, uh, during a time where there was a lot of different religions, he was trying to consider what religion to basically um, become a part of. So he went, he was living in upstate New York, in Palmyra, I believe, and then he went and um, prayed to God. What, what, what year was this? I'm not familiar. Like, I don't remember exactly. Some Somewhere in the 1800s. Okay. Um, I'm not very good with, <laughs> with dates. But what ended up happening is, like, he prayed, and apparently had a vision where he saw God, and God told him not to, not to join any religion. And um, then he had several other visions with an angel who told him, Angel Moroni, who told him about the plates and where the plates were buried. And then he just went and got the plates a few years later. And then he started translating the plates. So those plates is what we have nowadays. I don't know exactly which language they were in or which language he was translating them from. But I know that the, the story was that he translated the plates and that's what we have now as the Book of Mormon. Here's the real question. Why did they write on plates? What did they write on plates? Why, Why plates? plates? Why not like a tablet or a book or a piece of paper or a pad? I don't know. Why plates? Hmm. Why That's plates? A good question. Yeah. I don't know. I found these plates. They don't say anything. <laughs> plates? I don't anyway, know. I, I love making fun of Mormons. I, I just, think, I just love it. I just don't think. I mean, what you need to understand is like Mormon people. Mormon that 
Mormons that are, you know, that don't grow up in the church and they, they find their religion and they convert into the religion. I mean, there's really not a lot of logic. Nobody goes through it and I'm going to join this because there's logic. No, because I mean, of the plates. It's not, be- not because of the plates, yeah. it's because of the feeling. I mean, this is like a community that is very strong and very together and it's they're super welcome and the super nice. That's the thing that would draw me in more than the place. <laughs> That's the effort, I would come yeah. for the well, place and stay for yeah, the Yeah, I mean, the, 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 Mormon, the Mormon church, the LDS church nowadays does not practice polygamy despite beliefs that they, they do. They, they did in the past. I'm not going to hide that they did. They did in the past. But they don't anymore. The FLDS does. still does And that's like polygamy. 1% or less. That's the Latter-day Saints. No, the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. This is brought to you by... Mormons. The the, there's two different. Saints. No, there's FLDS well, there and LDS. Is, is, she was there, LDS, but then there's there FLDS. Is the it's like Hasidics and. Um, there is the why do you know about this? Yeah, I don't know how he knows about this. There is the fundamentalism. I know a lot about a lot. So basically, <laughs> historically, what ended up happening is Joseph Smith is like, God has told me that we need polygamy. And why? polygamy, well, I mean, for several. Honestly, I wish I can tell you with honesty why. Um, there's all sorts of versions of people have tried to explain why. Oh, because th- there was a war and a lot of a lot of women went without men, and it was a way to protect the women. It was a way to like repopulate. Whatever the reason was, the the, the I don't think you can quite justify it quite well. Right. Um, other than this happened, and it was morally reprehensible in, to some degree, and it got to the point where. According to what I am under my understanding, is like Mormons move all the way to Utah. They 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 get to Utah, and in order for Utah to become officially a state, the the deal was that they they have to stop practicing polygamy. And I think at the time, I don't know I don't know exactly who the president of the church was at the time. It was definitely not Joseph Smith anymore. I'm not sure if it was Brigham Young or whoever followed later after him. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure, but. Then they stopped practicing polygamy. And a lot of people were not happy with that. I'm sure. You need to understand that a lot of people, I mean, this had been like something that they've done for generations now. So some people broke away from the church and they're like, we're still going to practice polygamy. But the church itself, as the main church, does not practice polygamy anymore. And that was abolished. And, Could um, a woman have multiple husbands? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Are there any drug addict Mormons out there? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I saw him in rehab. Yeah, my friend CJ was a drug addict. Mormon. Yeah, I had, I had, I had lots friends of from oxys. Church. I had a friend from church that were were addicts. Yeah. It's really interesting to keep going. But tell us about when you smoked weed and went psychotic because this is dopey. So yes, it's not Mormon. It's the yes. podcast Mormon. about Mormons' addiction and dumb shit. Mormony. So let's just say that I wasn't in a great mental state. Well, set up. Um, what happened? Where were you? Just um, I was coming to the city to meet up with some friends and I took the bus, the 8 a.m. bus on a Saturday. And I want to say I hadn't slept the night before. I probably slept about an hour and a half. And mm. I, w- I had a fever in the bus because I think I, I had a, a UTI or something. I just wasn't this feeling well. This is bus well. from New York City, from Boston this to New York City. This is from Boston to New York City. Yeah. I get to New York City. I take some medication, change, and we go out. And we're out until 5 a.m., and I'm just, I probably didn't have anything to eat. I'm incredibly drunk and uh, feeling really, really sick. And I'm staying with my aunt, with my cousin. I get to her place. She was in Midtown, I believe. And we, um, I just passed out. The next morning, I'm really nauseous, feeling really sick and trying to decide, well, should I go to the hospital? And we're like, no, let's just go to brunch. Yeah. So we just went to brunch and I ate 
didn't really feel better. Was really nauseous. At this point, I had met with a couple of uh, had met with a couple of my girlfriends who were there, and a couple of friends that I didn't know really well. And they're like, "Oh well, let's go to my place." And if you're feeling really sick and really nauseous, like why don't you just smoke some weed? Yeah. Like I'm sure it's gonna make you feel better. Always yeah. made me feel better when I was. Nauseous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really so <laughs> I was like, "Well, yeah." I mean, at the time, I had smoked weed a handful of times. Uh, so I mean, normally, like. The only effect that I ever had was I got sleepy. Um, and horny. And horny. That's yeah. correct. I got sleepy and horny. And well, other yeah. than that, other than that, like, sure, why not? Let's just... Let oh, because just usually when you smoke weed, you would get sleepy and horny. And horny, yes, yeah. exactly. So I was like, I mean, how bad can it be? I mean, I have to say that the people that I was having the weed from, I didn't know these people very well. Um, it was, I believe, sativa, which is a strain that I... I wasn't very familiar with, (laughs) right? So long story short, all I remember is having my blunt and all of a sudden I just felt like I... Did you have a personal blunt or were you smoking with some people? No, it was a pretty thick blunt and we we, we all went around and um, and I just remember like trying to teach my cousin to smoke because she couldn't really smoke it well. You were like the cool one trying to teach your cousin to smoke and lo and behold... Because she had never done it with like an actual blunt. I guess she had used like... Other like a pipe or other stuff, but she yeah. hadn't like so she didn't quite know how to like really. See, I was a natural. It. The first time someone handed me a blunt, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> of course, you were a natural. <laughs> it came easy. And after that happened, I remember I got cold. I went to get a hoodie. This was in the summer, so it was really really hot. The fan was on, and I just remember getting tunnel vision. Like I couldn't feel my my hands anymore, and I remember going and like turning. Turning my head, and my friend Maria was next to me, and I told her, you need to call 911 because I'm about to pass out. And I was trying so hard not to pass out. Yeah. Like, so hard not to pass out, but I just, like, I could feel a tunnel vision coming. So... Did she actually call 911? She called 911. Wow. Because that's one of those things where, like, people think you should call the car, like, call the paramedics on but you never need to, you know? I feel like you're fine. This I didn't know, but apparently everybody started having, like... A conversation about whether they should call the the, the paramedics or not because yeah. they were just worried they were going to get never in trouble. You're smoking a blunt. Yeah, yeah, that, that's like, but in this case, you you were supposed to. Why? Because I was passing. I passed Let out. I passed out. Right? So I passed out, yeah. and they took me. They carried me downstairs. So the ambulance gets there, and the paramedics were these two women, and they 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 get me in the ambulance. And they give me oxygen, and I'm like kind of in and out. I think. I never really told them. They're like, girl, you can't handle your weed. <laughs> well, they thought. Why are so, they black people speaking like that? The I, didn't, I didn't say they were black. <laughs> they weren't black. They, they weren't black. You just can't handle your one weed. One was actually Puerto Rican and the other one was white. But um, they gave me oxygen. They Did the Puerto Rican girl nice. say, girl, say that? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, she didn't. She didn't, but it took them a while to figure out that I was high. I don't think yeah. they even realized that I was high, and yeah. this had happened while I was high because I couldn't really kind of articulate what was happening. And my friends weren't telling them, "Oh, we just gave her a butt, we just gave her drugs, and yeah. we don't know what happened." Yeah. So they took me to the hospital, and um, this is all very kind of like in my memory, very foggy. Like I don't have like a like I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I just know that they gave me fluids. And the woman next, like, I started bleeding from my IV, and the woman next to me was having a heart attack, and there was, like, a lot of people speaking Chinese, and then there were, like... In the hospital? They took me, because they took me to Bellevue, because I was here as a student, and they didn't know if I had insurance, insurance, so they took me to Bellevue, and then 
I just was high out of my mind. And then there were people fighting on handcuffs next to me, like pushing their beds. It was just kind of like all very... um, Overstimulated. Well, no, it was. It felt really surreal. Like, what? Is, what is it happening? Derealization. Right? Completely, completely realization. That I know that now, but at the time, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> Chris, why don't you explain the dopination with derealization? Is well, there's derealization oh, and depersonalization. Derealization is when everything kind of feels like it's happening. Like it's just almost like uh, existential or like it's not real, like the events around you. Like you're watching De- a movie. Like you're watching a movie. Depersonal- I'm watching a horrible movie. Right <laughs> of course you are. Depersonalization is when you don't feel like it's like your body. You can't, you're not in touch with like I'm your feeling derealization physical. and depersonalization. <laughs> right now. Okay, so you had derealization. And so they, they keep me there on their observation until finally... Like, I started pan- I mean, I started panicking, completely panicking. I started yelling. They tried to call my doctor in Boston. And this happened when they told me they were going to discharge me because I couldn't yelling? find anything. I just, I was so panicky. All I remember is, like, I didn't want to leave the hospital. Yeah. I was just, I just felt like I was going to die if I left the hospital. So I started yeah. fighting with everybody not yeah. to, like, to leave me in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, this, like, resident, and I, and I have my, my, my psychiatrist on the line. Uh, talking to them and explaining to them like what's happening just give her a benzo and like mm. like they realize okay she's really anxious yeah you need to gi- you need to give her something why would not they just given you a benzo I know. because <laughs> because and this is why this is why they check your file they said it seems like you need your service dog present <laughs> that would have been nice that would have been nice well, actually, Bellevue has like a very strict policy because they have a psych ER. If they're going to give you any psych medication, you have to be in moved the to the ER. psych oh, ER. Okay. And that's exactly what had to end up happening. I, I was like, you're not, like, I didn't want to leave. And I got really... How just, many hours past the weed is this? Oh, this was the next morning already. Oh, my God. This is like 24 hours yes, later. Yes, this oh, was wow. 24 hours later because... Did you sleep I, that night? Oh, I, no, I didn't sleep at all. So yeah. I hadn't slept at all. I was in, I was like completely like, just like like... Just not in a good state of mind. Like I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. And they, derealization, you would say. Yeah. By the time they take me to the psychiatric ER, I mean the psychiatric ER in Bellevue. If anybody's been there, it's just something out of literally a, a horror movie. Over the Have you been you there? Know? Uh, you know, it's funny because I I feel like I have, but yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I all I can tell you is like I remember bits and parts. I remember my cousin coming in and out. I remember that I had to take all my clothes and all my belongings and they put you on this like gown like you're in prison almost and they watch you at all times and they put me in this like chair and I had like at least three different people come and interview me to kind of assess if I was a risk to myself or others and asking the standard, you know, like psychiatry questions. And then I had two nurses on each side of me watching me at all times. And I thought that was really strange. Why are these nurses like just yeah. watching me at all times? Suicide watch? Well, no, it wasn't suicide watch. It's because I was being harassed by a lot of other... Because I was a, a woman by myself, completely out of my mind, right? And I was being harassed. Like, normally, you always have one chaperone with you uh, when you're in the ER, just because they, they don't they don't separate women from, like, men. And yeah. some, of the, some of the other patients may be kind of, like... Familiar? Very... No, very unstable. Yeah. So they don't, they don't, wanna, they don't want you to feel sexually harassed or yeah. anything like that. So I had two... And I just remember, and I swear to you, this is, I'm not making this up. I just remember meeting this doctor who had a Scottish accent, com- a Scottish accent, complete, complete white hair. And his name was Dr. Dark. 
And this is my psychiatrist. And I'm not making this up. And I'm begging him to give me a benzo because I am so kind of like deranged at that point. And he's talking to my psychiatrist on the phone. And my psychiatrist is like, please give her benzos. And he only agreed to give me one Ativan. Just one Ativan. After I had been like almost psychotic from like a panic attack. And he just basically kicked me out of the ER. He's like, you're not sick enough. You leave. And, um... Well, when the Ativan hit, were you like... Were things better? I felt better, but I couldn't even fall asleep. I couldn't even... Like, I was so That's when anxious. you go on Craigslist and be like, seeking benzos. <laughs> and the seeking thing is relaxo. Like, I had a prescription for benzos, but I didn't have any medication with me. So I had a friend come and pick me up and drive me to Boston. And uh, I was able to see my doctor the next day. And uh, Have you smoked weed since then? I have, uh, I have, yeah, I have a couple times, and it's really sad because... It was because the indica, so it was okay? No, it wasn't okay. <laughs> I don't enjoy it anymore because I am so afraid that it's going to... I don't enjoy it anymore because I'm so afraid it's going to make me feel strange again that yeah. I don't enjoy it anymore, even though I haven't had any bad experiences. Well, it turned out that another friend of this guy's had the same weed a week later and had the same issue, and apparently, like, when I was in the ER... Uh, the doctors were saying that they've been having a lot of cases of people showing up in the ER with similar symptoms after smoking weed, and they don't know if there was like a like a synthetic weed being sold as like actual weed or what it was, uh, but it, it was like a thing in the summer that was happening, and a lot of people were showing up in the ER with. That's crazy though, because those like weed is so prevalent in Manhattan, yeah, and the weed is like pretty good, yeah. You know what I mean? What year was that? This was back in 2013. I was. That was great weed in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? But, um, and I don't think that any, like, God-fearing good weed dealer would ever put salvia or K2 in the butt. I hope not. But I think that, you know, I have no, uh, There's way no knowing. way I could ever, there's no way I could ever know. Yeah. Um, it just kind of unleashed a lot of other things, that experience. It's interesting because, um, my cousin married this guy who was like stoner stoner you know like the biggest stoner and at Hanukkah this year he told me that he's off of weed and he's off for 30 days and it's because he's been having these uh paranoid episodes you know yeah and like um and I was such a stoner you know um and I never had a paranoid moment yeah well it's it's certain people who have um either mental illness or the capability of becoming mentally ill if they smoke a lot of weed like it can be really bad you know and it's particularly schizophrenia and stuff people smoke a shitload of weed and they might never be schizophrenic and they could become schizophrenic right it accesses they call it the cliff and it's like it's like it's not like it doesn't sound like let's i'm just gonna throw random statistics and it's like let's say one percent of people like might be schizophrenic and it's like if you smoke a shitload of weed it might be like two percent you know what i mean it doesn't sound like much that that one percent well, do you but it's think actually that, a lot. that she got pushed over the cliff well i think with anxiety no, I mean, your like, anxiety I've always, you got yeah, worse like, yeah i've always had anxiety since i was a little kid i was like just not a normal kid i was extremely anxious all the time and preoccupied with things that as a kid you shouldn't be preoccupied with so i think the fact that i had just finished like a very intense uh, academic rigorous. There's a convergence of a bunch of shit. Years, and made the convergence you, yeah, of a lot yeah. of things. It just yeah. kind of 
yeah, it was just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back type yeah. of thing. Like I, it unleashed a bunch of things that were already there and it just, it just was like the perfect combination. Also the fact that it turned out that I found out later on the report that they gave me antibiotics because I had a pretty bad UTI in the, that in can the, fuck you up yeah. in the, you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really bad. It's really it. bad. And so it's it's a combination of a lot of things. Like my body was going through a lot of stress. I put weed on it. I hadn't slept. You I was probably drunk. In New York. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't like maybe I wasn't necessarily in a safe place. Like a lot of things that affected my psyche. So, um, but also, I mean, for a long time, I look at it as like one of the worst experiences I've had. But honestly, it kind of forced me to revisit a lot of things in my life. To kind of have more balance and... Um, and now I'm pushing you to go into psychiatry. Yeah, Chris really wants me and to And he's in med school. I'm going to, if it's right with you guys, play this voice memo now. It's pretty good. I think you'll like it. It's very medical and it's funny. Yeah? Voice memo from who? From uh, Philip. Did you listen to this? Did you listen to the lungs one? I don't know. Did I listen to it? No, I was going to get you. Why don't you listen to it? Let me listen. Hey, what's up, Chris and Dave? This is Carney from Montreal, Canada. I'm uh, making a recording for you guys here while I'm driving to Montreal uh, from the nation's capital, which is Ottawa, where I've uh, taken refuge now for reasons being that I can't live in Montreal anymore because uh, it's too fucked up for me. So, I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you guys uh, for the past week-ish. Uh, I have a great friend, Australian fellow, who's here in Ottawa with me, who uh, turned me on to you guys. And I'm going to try and make this really quick, too, because I know that you guys uh, need to keep things concise and all that. So, um, this story starts... Well, first of all, um, I'm, I'm, I'm 50, 50 days sober now. So I've got a, a month and, and a bit, uh, I guess almost two months. And so, uh, yeah, so this is my story. Um, uh, I started smoking weed when I was in, uh, in uh, high school. And, and uh, by the time I went to university, I went to study music. And um, now the first two years uh, were pretty cool. I had a great roommate and uh, he tolerated my my uh, use and uh, we had a good time we, we were watching uh, uh, a lot of uh, Sopranos uh, and getting stoned together but he was like I was just obviously like stoned uh, a lot more than anyone I was going to class stoned and all that stuff you know stuff you've heard a million billion times but anyway so we all moved into this this magnificent house four guys who were studying uh, composition together and um, and this one dude who was from uh, from Maine, uh, who uh, was uh, in proper music. We were all in in in, in, in electroacoustics, which is just a, a fancy name for for composing with um, with electronics. And uh, this guy uh, had all these these pipes and bongs and and all this cool stuff, you know. So one day we went out to this hardware store, and I really got to make this quick because it's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's a few stages. So we went to this hardware store and we got a massive PVC pipe, big, big, you know, drain uh, tube, and we uh, we drilled a hole in it and we stuck a, a stem in it, 
and uh, we filled it with ice, and we were taking these big rips, you know, and all of a sudden I felt something fucked in my chest, something popped, and I was like, well, that was really weird, you know, I thought maybe it was like, I don't know, like, something moved in my bowel, like my stomach or whatever, you know, and I didn't really pay attention, and then like an hour went by, and the pain increased, and, and I'm, a, I'm a pretty skinny guy, right? I weigh like, m you know, maybe 135 pounds at the most at, in, the, in my best shape when I'm, when I'm really working out, and, which is crazy because I'm, I'm six foot one. And apparently, uh, in your early 20s, you're, you're, you're very susceptible, if you're a tall, skinny guy, to what's known as uh, a pneumothorax, a spontaneous pneumothorax, which uh, I didn't really... Uh, I didn't really uh, know, you know, obviously I wasn't paying attention to that kind of thing. So, uh, so I, you know, I was in a lot of pain, and uh, I didn't know that I had, I had effectively collapsed uh, one of my lungs with this, uh, with this fucking pipe. And so I spent the day, uh, you know, um, you know uh, just sort of being careful and moving around pretty carefully, and I went to a buddy's place, and and, you know, uh, let him know that something was wrong, and he, and, and so he gave me some oxy, and that, you know, kind of helped a little bit, and whatever, so I went to bed, and it was, it was, it was not hurting as much, because of the, because the, uh, you know, the, uh, oxy, and then I, I woke up the next morning, and I was just in fucking pain, man, like, a collapsed lung is really crazy, because you also, of course, can't breathe that well, so I got in, uh, I got in a car and drove myself to the hospital and, and parked outside, you know, I paid for the parking and, and sort of lumbered in and I, I sat in emergency for about, uh, I guess, uh, two hours or so and I was like, you know, going up to the people at triage and being like, hey, like, I'm in a lot of pain here and they were like, yeah, just sit down, you know, fucking just wait a bit, you know, we're busy, and then after, like, three and a half hours, I got up, and I just knocked on the door to the, you know, where they take you in, and I was like, guys, like, something's real wrong in my chest, and they were like, okay, okay, so come in, and they gave me an x-ray, and, and sent me back out, and, and literally 60 seconds after going to sit down, they, they burst out the doors, and they were like, get the fuck on the table, you've got a collapsed lung, we're gonna you know, cut you open right now, and I was like, holy fuck, uh, and, and, and they were like, don't worry, we're gonna do this right away, because we got all these students here, all these med students, that are, you know, it was like a, it wasn't a university, huh? anyway, so I was like, whatever, you know, do what you, what you gotta do, and, uh, oh, I should also mention right, right now that, uh, that, uh, you know, winters in Montreal are, are really bad, like, right now I'm driving and there's 20 centimeters of snow, and, and there were, it was a lot of snow, so, so it was like, the place was just jam-packed with people, and everyone was freaking out because there was car accidents and whatever, so anyways, I get up on the table, they give me the, the, uh, the mask, you know, and they're like, we can't knock you out completely because you'll, you know, you're, it, we, we can't risk you, your breathing slowing down, so, you're not gonna feel anything, but you're gonna be awake, and I was like, okay, and, uh, so, like, I, you know, I, I, I felt the, the knife go in my fucking chest, and they, and I was like, oh, that feels kind of cool, you know, and, um, 
There was a bunch of students standing all around me, and they jammed the fucking hose in me to drain my, my, my what's called the, the pleural cavity, and uh, to get all the air so that the lung can re-expand. And so, long story short, uh, in, in this part, uh, I stayed in the hospital three days, I had this tube in my chest that was hooked up to this machine that was gurgling, and, and you know, people were coming to visit me, and I thought that... You know, that that was the end of it, pretty much. I was like, I'll never fucking smoke again. Uh, you know, I'm going to be real healthy. I was so happy to be alive. Anyways, the doctor told me that the first time you have a collapsed lung, the, the chance of it happening a second time is 30%. And if you have a second collapsed lung, the chances of it happening a third time is fucking 80%. So I was like, cool, I hope it doesn't happen, and I'm going to be on my best behavior. So three months later... I'm moving an amplifier, and I feel that same fucking pain on my left side. So the first one was the right side. So luckily, I was like, okay. So I was, I was cool. I just went right to the hospital. I went right to the fucking the the uh, department where you know where the the surgeon was. This old old man, man. He's probably dead now, for sure. And uh, he's actually a pretty famous thoracic surgeon. Anyways. So he was like, yeah, it's good you came. Now the left side is down. And basically, now we got to do this this big operation on you, which is like a lobectomy to remove part of your lung to, to make sure that these blebs on the top of my lungs don't pop. And this happens again, and both lungs go down, and I'm, and I'm dead. So I was like, cool. Uh, let me think about it. You know, I'm going to do some research just to make sure that this guy's on the level, because in Canada, um, we have obviously um, some pretty good health care, so if they tell you you need a surgery, you're not going to be like, well, I don't really have that 15k to throw down. So I, I talked to my parents, and I, and I went on the web, and I was looking up all these different fucking uh, technologies that they do, this shit called VATS, which is a video-assisted video um, thoracotomy or, or something of the like, and... Um, and I, so I went in to talk to this this old man. He was probably in his early 70s already or, or something. He looked like it. And I was like, well, what about vats? And what about, what about uh, you know, this and that? And he was like, no. He's like, we're going to do a thoracotomy. And he made this motion with his hands, I'll never forget, which was like this fucking diving motion with his hands because he actually needs to use his hands to splay my ribs above my, um, in my armpit to get up in there, right, and do all that shit that he did, and whatever, and I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, um, that's really heavy, and, and, uh, so I went, he was like, go in the waiting room and just think about it, you know, because that's what I'm going to do, and you can either, you know, you can, you can take it or leave it, basically, and, and so I went, and I sat down, and I thought, and, and sort of meditated on it a little bit. And, uh, so I was like, okay, well, let, you know, let's do it. What's, um, what's the worst thing that can happen? And so he, so he sent me to go sign all these forms. And, uh, and right as I was, I was finishing up these forms, uh, to, you know, this, these consent forms or whatever. And I, and I give them to the secretary and she's like, okay, go sit down and wait because we got to fit you in a, a slot next week to do this like pretty invasive surgery. Right. She's like, go sit down and uh, we'll be with you in a sec. 
And right as I sit down, the old man calls from the office, and he's like, he's like, Darlene, get me my lunch. And I'm like, what, you know, what's going on here? And she emerges from the, from her desk, uh, like two minutes later with a plate, with a, with a fucking piece of toasted Wonder Bread. I don't even know if it was toasted. It was just one single slice of bread and a, and a fucking Diet Coke. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. I just put my hands in the life of a thoracic surgeon who drinks Diet Coke and a piece of fucking Wonder Bread for lunch. And I was like, what have I done? All this. And, uh, and so I, and I, and you know, I just, I just, I sucked it up and I went home and I prepared, you know, my, uh, my, uh, my, whatever, my school schedule, because I was in the middle of my third year of, of my undergrad and, and, uh, and told all the profs I'd be out and all that stuff. So, so they did the surgery and this is the third part. So I understand if, if this is like a way too long already. So, and I, and I only realized what had happened later. When I woke up in ICU, I, um, I'd had a near-death experience, I'm pretty sure. Because they had put me out and, and you know, they did this, this surgery. Um, but what I didn't know, and I haven't confirmed this, so this is just a, a suspicion at this point. Because he was this old-ass fucking dude... He had all these old ideas about what, you know, how they were going to do this surgery. So I'm pretty sure they gave me ketamine as an anesthetic because it's a, you know, it's a pretty good thing. And they used it in, in, uh, in, uh, in Vietnam and it was, it's like one of the most, it's the cheapest and it's so accessible and all that good stuff. So I, I had this experience waking up where all the nurses were around me and they were, and they, you know, and, and I was like, bring me the phone, bring me the, 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 the a telephone. And, and, and I just started calling everyone saying like, yeah, and I was, I was high as fucking, I was like on another fucking plane, man. And I was shivering cause I was all cold and I had all these tubes coming out of my chest. Uh, and, and, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden this pain washed over me, this like crazy ass full body pain. And I went into shock and I started shivering and I was shaking and the tubes were like fucking coming loose and shit. And they were like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, I'm fucking freezing. And so the, the, you know, the, the nurse came over with these two keys. I'll never forget this. And she put the two keys in the, in the morphine machine and, and whatever and, uh, and, and hit me with that with that, uh, with that morphine and I calmed down and they, they threw this like this, uh, this like tinfoil blanket you know and, and stuck like what looked like a hair dryer under it and they were blowing hot air it was dope it was just dope the whole thing was magic and so uh, I was in recovery there for, for, for uh, I think, seven days. And, uh, and when they rip those tubes out of you, they, they, you have to exhale completely. And it's this really, like, violent, fucking archaic motion that, this, that the, the surgeon has to do. He's got this, ga this gauze that's all, you know, framed up with this pink tape, this, like, skin-colored fucking weird tape. 
and they slap that shit on the on your big you know your big opening basically and tape you up with this tape that goes right around your whole body to hold that shit together anyways during this whole process I was like I'm never gonna do drugs again I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna smoke cigarettes I'm not gonna do nothing and of course I think maybe three months later started I started smoking weed you know and then like a year later I was cool nothing happened so I started doing blow again and then now it's 10 years later and like so much shit has happened and I've got so many more stories in between that's definitely the craziest stupidest you know sequence of events where, where I just continued using after. And, um, and, you know, everyone was like, should you be smoking, you know? Like, didn't you have all that lung shit? And I was like, yeah, it's cool, I'm cool. They, you know, they fixed me up. They, they fucking stapled my lung and, and all this shit. They stuck it to the, my, 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 uh, the, they did this thing called a pleurodesis, which is, uh, I might, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but, but they, they use some of your blood and they stick your, your lung to the chest wall so that it doesn't fall down if it ever loses air. And anyways, then, uh, yeah, so so after that, I, I really, you know, I went in real deep. I had, I had, uh, I had a, a, a couple different romances with, uh, with various uh, drugs, you know. I, I, and then most recently, uh, which is a story for another time probably, I got so deep into ketamine, man. So fucking deep. I was doing seven grams in three days sometimes, which is probably not a lot for some people who are, who are, you know, banging it and stuff. But I was just, I was snorting it. Whatever. Anyways, that's my fucking story. I got fifty-ish days right now, coming up to my two months. My buddy just got three months. Um, the Australian dude, Russell, and everything is great. And the podcast is just fucking earth-shattering for me, man. And I'm driving in the car. And I actually paused an episode because I was crying. Um, and I just just to, to give you guys the story. So I, I hope you dig it. Um, you know, everything is great. And I'm looking forward to the next little bit, man. I, I, can't, I can't really see past two or three months right now. But I know I'm on the right track. And I love you guys. And... Uh, It's really cold up here, and I hope you guys are nice and toasty, and uh, that's it. From Carnive, I'm saying, peace out. So that was a crazy voicemail. That was really crazy. Very medical in nature. Yeah, this whole episode, well, first of all, Dopey Nation, just so you know, we're, we, we, it's a week later now. I don't know <laughs> when the hell happened. So basically, like, you know, Annie got there early, and then, like, It went, and then it just got too long with Annie there, and we lost our chemistry, and, and I went home. So now we're finishing the episode. So that's the explanation for the change in audio. And not to mention, if anyone in the Dopey Nation can make a software better than all of the recording softwares, that would be really great. We literally just tried like four different things, and they all sucked. They all sucked. What did we try? We tried Zencaster, we tried yeah. Uber Conference, we uh -huh. tried Google Voice, 
And we originally tried Skype to record audio and we paid $40, which you mentioned in the other episode. And they all drop and stuff. And like, I, I don't think it's our internet connections because I'm in Boston now. David's in uh, Sayville. So. David's in Sayville? I'm turning into your dad, Alan. David is in Sayville. David's in Sayville. He calls you yeah. dad, right? He calls you David, right? He does what he. He calls me a lot of things. He calls me Davey. He calls me Dave. He calls me David. He calls me all those things. But I always was scared of uh, my lungs collapsing. I wonder how that happens. How does that happen? Well, Annie said it was because uh, if you're really tall and skinny, you're more. It's more likely to happen for some reason. Why? I don't know, man. Go to medical school, and they'll tell you. I, I'll pass. This happened. This episode is full of so much medical mumbo jumbo. I feel sorry for the for the dopey nation today. See, that's my shit. I love that stuff. I know. I was thinking that you and Annie should start a nerd podcast called Medical Nerds, you know, or something. You should have I some kind of fucking, you know, podcast with somebody who enjoys this fucking jargon because it ain't me, babe. <laughs> I'm not medical enough, though. Well, I know just enough. Know. I know just enough about medicine to dazzle you and a few members of the the dopey nation. But once I go, once I talk to her friends and stuff, it's just you know I keep my mouth shut. Can I tell you that it doesn't dazzle me? I find it incredibly irritating and not dazzling at no, all. No, because you, like you said before, you like to hang out with people who pick their nose and wear Star Wars shirts. I never, I never said that. <laughs> you said that was the type of person that you were drawn to romantically when you dated. I, I, I didn't say, I think I said that was the kind of person you should go for. I, think I didn't say that was the kind of person I go you for. You said you picked their nose and wear Star Wars shirts and they were comfortable farting. What? That's what you said. That, prove it. <laughs> fucking, it's not true. I never, you don't, you don't fucking know anything about me. You really don't. You don't know fucking anything about me. And like, I'll tell you something about me. And this is something you do know about me. I'm so easy. I care way too much about everything. Okay. Number one, the biggest problem I have is I care too much about everything. <laughs> I do. I'd say you're sensitive. I don't think you care too much. I mean, there's a different, those are two different things. I care too much about everything. Well, if you say you care too much, like the natural uh, consideration for a comment like that would be that you're very empathetic. And I don't think that – I think you're sensitive and you take things personally. In that way, yes, you care. No, I'm – the word is empathetic. I'm incredibly empathetic. I'm incredibly empathic. When's the last time you went to a soup kitchen? When's the last time you went to a soup kitchen, Charlie? I fucking support a family, dickwad. Dumbass. When's the last, what, does soup, what does soup kitchens have to do with empathy or fucking caring too much? I'm telling you something. I care too much at, at nauseam. And I'm even going to take this one step further that the reason that I'm an addict is because I needed to self-medicate caring so much. That's why I did so many drugs. Because I care so much. And, I, and like, I'll tell you, let me just say something. You listening? I'm listening. And Dopey Nation, pay, pay close attention. I'm going to say this really, really clearly. In this world, in America, in postmodern society, it's not cool to care. It's uncool to care so much. And when I was a young man, I picked up what? What's Her that face? Heroin. Well, I just, I think caring is making a comeback, but continue. 
You're a di- if caring is making you pretend to care. You're a fucking liar hey, I gave and a, a hustler I, I, and a bullshit artist. You don't care about anything. You want to hear something? You want to hear something? I'm not done. <laughs> Hold thing. on, let me just tell you. Like, just, no, 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 I'm not done. <laughs> just listen, okay? I cared so much that I found myself that I wasn't cool. So I found that I needed to get high to not care and to be the cool guy that I was meant to be. And I, it fucking really just turned upside down and over and over. And my cool was gone. I lo- Like Fonzie, I lost my cool uh, to drugs. And now I care so much again, I'm not cool again. You're never cool. It's <laughs> a lose situation. <laughs> what do you mean? You're never cool. What do you mean? I mean, you were never cool. I don't need to add anything to that. You didn't know me in my height of my cool. You think you're cool at your work. I go in and at Dave's place of work, he's like shouting stuff across the fucking room and making orders and stuff. He's got his chest all puffed out. You don't think I'm cool? No, I, I, I know you're not cool. You don't think I'm cool, really? Yeah, I mean, I guess your songs are kind of neat, and you get a little bit of cred for that. That's it? That's it. You know what happened? I you got know what? You were pretty cool. The more I've gotten to know you, the less, the less cool, cool I am. Yes, absolutely. That's because I'm caring too much. No, it's you're neurotic. There's a, two, there's a difference between caring and being neurotic. Well, who is cool that you know? Dave Marshall is pretty cool. No? You're, you're like an insane person. What do you mean? You're really... Dave Marshall's dead because he... Maybe he turned on some cool thing. But obviously, his insides didn't match his outsides. Do you have to be alive to be cool? No, of course not. But you say you're saying that the only cool person that you know is recently dead. No, I, I'm trying to uh, name people that we have in common. I think. Anyway, who do you who are you friends with that you think is really cool? You know, it's pretty cool, Ryan. Ryan, graphic design, Ryan. Okay. What do you think about him? I don't think he's that cool. Why not? I don't know. I just don't think he's that cool. Who I don't do you th- think? I, cool? you know, I think I'm way cooler than him. Do you think I'm cool? No. Why? I think you're a dick. I'm not a dick. I, I think you are a dick. Listen to this. The other day, in terms of caring, I went to give a homeless man a dollar. Here we go. And I reached in. Were my, you alone or were you with anybody else? I was with Annie. Yeah, and I okay, in, perfect. Oh, And I reached in my wallet. I mean, I'll tell you the story. I'm going to tell you the story. You're with Annie. A homeless person comes up to you and asks you for a dollar to show Annie how generous you are. You're reaching for a dollar, but you pull out a 20. And just to show her that you don't give a fuck about giving your father's money away, you give the homeless guy a 20 to prove how fucking generous and cool you are. It was a five. I knew it was a five, but I was trying to make change my bets on the fucking story. I'm going to tell you a fucked up story. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. The other day I'm at work, okay, and like, and you're right, I'm thinking I'm fucking cool as shit. I think I'm just the funniest, coolest person in the world. And I go up to the table, and it's this family with this older man 
and his wife and this very awkward looking young son. And the man says, do you guys have mushroom barley soup? And I said, do you see it on the menu? And he says, no. And I said, well, have you ever been to a restaurant before? And he says, he says, yes. And he says, well, I don't see that chocolate babka French toast is on the menu. And I said, well, that's on the breakfast menu, sir. Do you want to see our secret soup menu? Because <laughs> on the secret soup menu, we have the mushroom barley soup. And he says, yes, I want the secret soup menu. And I said, I'm sorry, sir, there is no secret soup menu. And he <laughs> lost his fucking mind. He went, he, then he ordered. Was he like lost know, his mind legit or was laughing? He lost his mind legit. Yeah. He got so angry. I brought him pastrami. He told me it wasn't pastrami. He, he like threw this hissy fit. He like wanted to fight me because of the secret soup menu. Yeah. He like wanted to punch me. And then it, tur it turned out while I was fucking with him, the owner was watching me and he thought everything was really funny that I was saying. Yeah. And then, and then the guy goes to the owner and he goes, your waiter is really rude. And the owner was like, why? And he said, well, he asked me, you know, I asked him for the soup and he said, have you ever been to it? He said, is it on the menu? And then he brought me pastrami and it wasn't pastrami. And the, and, and the owner says to me, he goes, have you, has he ever been to a restaurant before? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was pretty good. I would say that's pretty cool, but it doesn't highlight your caring. Oh, to highlight my caring. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not that caring of a person. I'm not going to fucking put my caring on, on display. In fact, I'm so uncaring that, like, when I'm in the subway getting, like, a Metro card and a homeless guy asks me for something, I say, no, no. He's <laughs> like, can you help me with a, a swipe? I say, no, I can't. Like, actually, I say, I say, I say, I'm sorry, but I'm furious. Like, I say, I'm sorry, but I can't. Like, like I'm furious that they should have the audacity to ask me for anything. Now, when I was a kid, and this reminds me of you, when I was a kid and I didn't kill myself at work, I gave away whatever I had because money was meaningless to me because I didn't have to earn it. You know, if I had money, I'd give it away because I, I thought I was the man. You know, I was like, yeah, have this money. Enjoy. But now I'm, I'm stingy. Uh, and I feel like one, I also have this old New York thing in me that's like, don't take out money and give it to a, a homeless person because they're going to see you have money and take it from you somehow. It's like this weird fear kicks in. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to take it from you, but in New York, you can't, you can't get, you can't give money out to homeless people because you get hit up every two seconds. I do one of two things. I either grab my pockets and, you know, <clears throat> non-verbally make a like a sign like like I'm out you know I don't have anything <laughs> or I ahead of time make contact eye contact and I say what's up dude and he's like hey you gonna get something I'm like oh I'm so sorry man I can't and that's it I say no I, I can't do it man <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I say I'm sorry dude you know you know what I do what I do what I'm starting to do is if somebody performs like if they sing I give them all the change I have. Yeah, and if the performance is good, I'm more uh, apt to give something. I don't stick but, around those those hustlers in uh, 
Central Park. They have them in Boston too. They do that show, and they're really good at getting people's money and stuff. You know what I'm talking about when they jump oh, over yeah. people and whatnot. It's amazing to me is that there are so many of these kids that can do these incredibly high flying acrobatics. I, what I don't. What's amazing to me is that they're doing all this shit and making this huge ruckus and doing great. And why are we, you know, setting up a booth and? Central Park and throwing down the dopey and getting a crowd. I'll say it's two, it's really two things. It's Annie, it's school, it's work, it's you live in Boston. It's all me. Is what you're saying? Well, I'll say <laughs> this. I I I told you this that I would take a day off from work to do a total promotion dopey day. I will cut my income for a day. To do it. But we gotta do but, it in the summer anyways. We gotta do it in the summer. But I'm telling you, Chris, like uh when I it's not fair how I act with you a lot of the time. Because the the, the amount of fucking the effort it takes to come to New York, it's not like a whim. You know, your life is a lot more set up than it was when we used to do it. And you could come and, like, really enjoy it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't have anything to do. So you were like, this is fucking awesome. I get to go to New York and chill and do this stuff. Well, everything's stepped up. Now you have infinite stuff to do. And it's like, you got to come. You got to do six things at once. You got to leave before we're finished. You know, it's like, it's not like You know what that just was? You know what that was right there? Huh? You know what that was? What? Cool and caring, what you just said. Cool and caring. I'm, I know. I'm very cool and caring. I'm, trying to, I'm telling you. I know. It's like I know how cool I am, and I'm very aware of how caring I am. And, and let me tell you, you, you know, this. no, no. I will say this, and I'm going to be fully authentic for a moment. You are a caring person. Sometimes it gets clouded by a little bit of neuroticism, and you have a, a temper that flies out. But you 100% of the time always come around. And you don't ever let stuff just sit. Do you know what I mean? You don't just let something fizzle. You bring it up. You address it. And that's not true of all people. And that's true well, of sober people. That's what you have to do if you're sober. Well, that was something that I was always – that I always like really – it was always important to me to do that, number one. Number two, it's not neuroticism. It's neuroses. And my neuroses makes me an asshole. But I really do legitimately care about you, and I and I legitimately care about our friendship, and I really care about our show. I legitimately care about all those things. And I want to say this, and I, I feel like we haven't said this in a while, you know, because the way the process of making Dopey has hit a snag lately, mm. but like, it's so fucking cool. All the people we hear from, all of the lives we get to touch, we hear from people every day, Yeah, you know, like... And, like, what a fucking amazing thing. Like, I, I remember uh, last week somebody wrote something someplace and they ended it, you know, talking about how inspirational Dopey was to them. And they ended it with Stay Strong, Dopey Nation. And it was like the first time I said Stay Strong, Dopey Nation, I was joking. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't mean it. I was like, Stay Strong, Dopey Nation. And um, and now it means something. It's and funny. Like, it's isn't funny. that so cool, dude? I remember getting our first email on like episode eight, and Troy. being so excited. I yeah. think Troy's dead. 
One of them is. I don't know if it was that one. That was the. That was yeah. Fucking hell. All right. Man. Well, one thing we got to address here real quickly is that Dopey Nation. There is a possibility, not for sure yet, that the next episode, episode one fourteen, is going to be a day and a half late. I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time. We'll see how it goes, but I'm 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 real proponent of doing things in person just because it's easier to access emails. Um, it's easier to do guests. It, it loses something like this. Agreed. I uh, agree. What else you got? We got 20 minutes. This was the wrap up. You got anything else you want to add? Yeah, we got 20 minutes. We just did 20 we minutes. We just did 20 minutes. It was, it's like nothing. It's like butter. I want to play a song, but the connection's not great. Well, play the song, and then I can uh, record it on your laptop, and I can put it in at the end. Huh? I said record it on your laptop, and then I can put it in in good audio quality. No, I like to do it with you as a rapt audience. I don't want to just record a song. All right, we'll do it next time, then. Um, what was I thinking? I was. I, I went to... Um, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about. What did you think about that fucking secret soup menu? It was pretty uh, good, yeah. It was good stuff. Secret soup menu? Yeah. Um, there's so much things happening. What do you think about my uh, my plan to get us into Vice? What, uh, to have somebody else get us into Vice? That's your plan? Yeah, that's my plan. It's <laughs> your plan for everything. Dude, it's, it's called subcontracting. I, I subcontract everything. Dave has this thing. fucking massive list of just like 200 or 300 email addresses. And he used to like every three or four months send out this generic email to all of them. And literally the second he sends it, it's such a pain in the ass. I literally get 80 response emails of them just bouncing. No, back. you get eight. You don't get 80. No, no, no. I definitely don't get eight. I don't get 80, but I get like 30. What do you mean? Do you think I don't get them? You, you just get, get them, them? too. It's just a pain in the ass. And you did get one article out of it in the beginning, but now it does nothing. Well, I figured when I got that one article that it was like throwing out a lobster net and getting a fucking black pearl. Mm. And that we would get another one and another one, but then it didn't happen. And I think the most interesting thing is the nature of perception versus reality. Because in my mind, when I saw all those 30 emails show up, it showed me that I was getting something done. I felt like it showed some sort of measure of accomplishment. Yeah. Yep. Oh, dude, dude, check it out. You know, you know what else is really annoying? Um, what's really annoying is that, um, our website has totally the store has died. No, you see, dude, you don't even know if there's weird shit going on. I wrote an article, right? And it used to say my name, Chris, you know? It says, like, written by Chris. I look back on it. My dad's name is written as the author. Why? <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> just, about? It used to say, like, the article I wrote, the blog post, it would say my name at the bottom of it. <laughs> now, it says, now it says my dad's name. What's your dad's name? Peter. And then... So now- it says his whole name. I gotta fix it. <laughs> but do you see all these weird... Well, why is that happening? I feel like we've been infiltrated by hackers. It's like artificial intelligence fucking <laughs> turning fuck? on you. Dude, our website is so dumb. We'd have so many more. Have you noticed that all we get is these canceled t-shirt orders? Whenever somebody tries to order a t-shirt, it just gets canceled because our website sucks. That's what I was saying. My friend, My friend suggested... 
that we set up a store on Amazon, yeah. and then and then Amazon will deal with our money for us, and all we have to do is do the shipping. Yeah, whatever, man. I'm down for whatever. You mean you're down for me to set all that stuff up and ship all the shirts? If you want to, man, that's fine. I'm gonna, I think we should get back to the uh, short sales of, of, like, short runs of Dopey products, 20 apiece. But so, dude, <laughs> did you hear the email that the guy wrote me? He was like, he was like, listen, man, as, as a recovery, you see, I think that's another interesting question. Would you say most of the Dopey Nation is in recovery, recovered, using, or not? I think very few are recovered in the sense of you using the word, which is a 12-step capacity. Um, I think, I think it's probably pretty evenly split. I think there's a lot of people that listen to Dopey who had severe using histories who have cut back and are doing better. What makes you think that? It's just my hunch. Like people who are like smoking weed on, um, uh, methadone or suboxone maintenance and maybe slip up here and there. Um, people trying, you know? Well... So one guy wrote me and he said, um, he said, Dave, you're a fucking idiot. I'm in recovery. Do you think I'm going to spend what little money I have to show the world that I used to do drugs? Like to wear a shirt that says dopey, like with a nodding out guy. And you should have just sent him a picture of the girl with the tattoo. Let's like drop the mic response. I think you saw that. Didn't we hear from her recently? What's her name? Hannah. Wonder how she's doing, Hannah. If you're out there, what's up? What's going on? Yeah, you want to get another dopey tattoo? Yeah, we'll put it on your other fucking ankle. <laughs> how about that Australian guy? There's some fucking junkie in Australia who was like, "Chris, send me fifty dollars for a tattoo." <laughs> oh, yeah, he didn't uh, send me anything. He was willing to negotiate on it. He was like, "Just, just, Chris, forget the tattoo. Just send me four bags of fentanyl, please." <laughs> oh man I think we're done I think we're done with this episode that's what I'm saying yeah <clears throat> um, alright so on a, on a scale of 1 to 10 0 being not that much and 10 being all how much are you are you still excited to be making the show I'm still very excited I still enjoy doing it immensely I just wish on it was on a scale of 1 to 10 1 being not that much and 10 being all how excited are you for the future of the Dopey Podcast? Ten. That's the spirit. Yeah. And do you think, I think that it will be a talk show as successful a talk show for Dope Fiends that can be. We will have. You put that energy out there, man. Positive vibrations. Law of att- the law of attraction. Just keep putting where, that out there. Where, where do I have to put it? You just put it out in the universe and the universe will hear you. And will manifest. You manifest your dreams and your reality. Yes, I. Yeah. All right. All right. So please like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Reddit. Follow us on Twitter. No, Send no, us an email. No, no. Don't Five minute follow email. us on Twitter. Follow us and engage the Dopey Nation. Engage. Engage. You press that button and you say engage. Engage. And um, don't forget Reddit. I'm going to repeat that one more time. We do have a, a little cult thing going on on Reddit. Somebody bashed. What's going on? Somebody bashed you over the um, the Matt thing. 
What'd they say? I don't know. Something about... They're happy we had the conversation, but that your views were frustrating. That's what they put. Oh, well. Oh, well. It happens. Listen, if you, I, I'm not, I'm not like Mr. Fucking people pleaser. Everything's cool. I like everybody. Hey, I'm Everything just, I, awesome. I, I'm just following, you know, the evidence. What's the evidence? Evidence-based practices. What's that? I don't even know. I don't even buy into that anyways. That's not what we're talking about here, but, um, this science supports it, but it's, I don't even buy into the science. So I don't want to start this conversation. No, you you do it because you want to make everybody happy. That's no, I say it because I believe in it. There is that that I want to make people happy, and I don't want to alienate people. But I do believe it. Uh, it does more positive than negative. I, I don't think it's just the savior. There's so many peep doctors out there that think it's the end all be all. I totally don't agree with that. But I think it does more good than harm. My opinion, and I'm gonna. This is the end of it, and I'm just gonna get this out there. My opinion is. I I want anything that makes anybody's life better uh, to be done. I I just think that um, I I just believe in, in the people who, who feel like they can't be fully completely sober. I just think they can. I believe in them where they don't believe in themselves. Of course, yeah. You know, and people look at that as a negative, but I see it as a positive. And like, and I and I also like. I say fucking, I don't give a shit. You know, what the fuck? I don't who care. Knows, but who knows? The path to that might include uh, Suboxone or Methadone along the way. It, it was for me. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be here now if I wasn't on Methadone when I was on Methadone. Um, but let's not start I, this whole I, conversation again. No, I just don't want worms. people... I, I mean, like, when we recorded that episode, I just want to be clear about it. When we recorded that episode, I had not slept the night before. I cannot wait to go on a bashing Star Wars tirade, and you had played that eleven-minute voicemail from a guy where the voice, the whole voicemail, was just praising Suboxone. And I don't want our show to be some Suboxone love fest. So I kind of got annoyed that that was the message. So I like went the other way, and I went harder than I would have gone otherwise. Does that make sense? Yeah, you overreacted. Yeah, I do that all the time. It's because I care too much. <laughs> That's what I'm oh, to tell full you. circle, back to the caring. It's because I care too much. All right, what do you got in closing statements here? I care too much. I'm way too cool for my own good. Stay strong, dopey nation. I love you all very much, and I love you, Chris. I love you too, Dave. Toodles. And you don't and me not say toodles. Me not say toodles. All right. Me not say toodles. All right. Um, that's it? Well, how much time? Where are we at? We're done. All right, good night. Good night. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good so bad wanna be so good 
so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And my shadows get smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadows getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had